0: I'm going to turn in your Bibles tonight, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 is our text tonight, 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to read verse 1 down to verse number 15, verse 1 down to verse number 15. The Bible tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 down to verse 15, would to God ye would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed... Uh, bear with me, or you do bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste or a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility or craftiness, his trickery, so that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not Whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. In other words, these guys come along and preach false messages, and you listen to them. He says, for I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that... Ye might be exalted, because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man will stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achai. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knows. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Verse 13, he concludes this section by saying, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Father, we thank you again for this service tonight. We pray that the word of God would go forth in clarity and power in the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would bring your your word into our hearts. God, there are some that I've even talked to tonight that have heavy hearts and burdened hearts and uh, weighty things. Others I've talked to that had wonderful news that came to their life today. But God, whatever the setting of people's lives are right now, I pray that you would meet them, Lord, through the scriptures, through your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort and peace and joy and healing and sanctification and salvation. It's been a wonderful week to hear of those who've come to Christ already, multiple people and others who were sharing Christ and weeping over their loved ones. I pray that you would continue to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we be your mouthpiece. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated this evening. You ever been deceived by somebody? (laughs) Boy, we live in that world today, don't we? It's really a uh, frustrating thing, too, because um, most of us have experienced people trying to hack into our accounts, people sending emails, fraudulent emails, you know, there's people that will look up... Uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church try to take my email address, send it to s- different people, and, and the staff will say, did you, are you asking me this, Pastor? I'm like, no, I didn't ask you that. Like, hey, you know, go get a gift card and send me the, uh, you know, information. I mean, just some crazy stuff. So if if you're a business owner, th- things like that, you, you'll deal with these kind of things as well in your fields. And, and, and the amount of criminal activity, the deception we deal with identity theft all the time, con artists who uh, do these kind of things through mail, phone calls, also text messaging, and and so deception uh, through media is also incredible, the twisting of the truth. We live in a day when, uh, if you want to know what the truth is, it's really the opposite of whatever they're saying on television. Uh, I don't know that many people watch TV news anymore, that's kind of outdated, but uh, scientific deception is real. COVID nineteen. People were not allowed to even ask questions. Uh, you know, remember when? Uh, you know, if you don't get the uh, the, the vaccine, you're killing your family. Uh, all those statements that were told and and being bullied into losing bodily autonomy by the people who always promised the need for bodily autonomy. But as much as those deceptions could be painful and frustrating, and and all that went on over the the years of. COVID, the, 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 you know, this is going to be the most um, passionate political year you probably will ever see. Uh, it is an interesting thing. I'm kind of rabbit trailing for a moment. Uh, it is an interesting thing to see what's happening in Texas, isn't it? When, when our leadership currently right now have the ability to close down the border, but willing to keep it open... And, uh, and Texas is using their sovereignty to uh, and their, their right to uh, protect their border, which I'm all for. And I say, praise God, you, if, if we're worried about Ukraine's border, why aren't we worried about America's border? And, and uh, that's if you can't keep your people safe, um, it, it, the, the same people that would say it, it's okay to have the open border, then keep your doors unlocked. You know, it's just, it's that kind of a mindset, and it doesn't mean you don't have compassion for people, it just means that you keep your doors locked because you have compassion for the people in your house as well. (laughs) So, you know, it's very common. And the other thing is this, you know, I was talking to somebody who uh, came from another country just a couple days ago that's a wonderful uh, uh, family in our church, and and it, it, you know, they went through the the long, grueling process of citizenship, and they're like, man, it's just kind of like a slap in the face. You know, and, and I say it is, and and so, uh, but but you see all of the deception in the world, and as, and as frustrating and painful as it is, there's nothing more powerful, potent, and damaging than spiritual deception, and and Satan is the master deceiver, and he employs tactics that are that that are the highest level of deception. There's nothing more powerful than religious deception. It is the most controlling. It is the most confining. It is the most damaging. Uh, the religions of the world are the inventions of Satan. He is the father of religion. He has built an empire of false religions. The statement Satan wants every person in the world to say is this. There is no way salvation can be through Jesus. Just look at all the different religions. How could you know which is the correct one? Because atheism a hard sell. Atheism is a hard sell. Satan knows that people won't buy that very often. I mean, you have to go to a university and listen to years of evolutionary thinking to try to destroy the idea of God in people's minds. And that's really why evolution was created. It was it was not specifically attack on deity, but it was an attack on basically the God of the Bible because morality infringed on people's what, what uh, one evolutionist said they 're sexual mores and and so they had to uh, create and, and really that 's what that was but what 's interesting in twenty four years of polling Americans seven different times there 's been no change in how America views god god 's intervention in creation. only thirteen percent of Americans think mankind evolved with no divine intervention. so the deception of evolutionary uh, processes to bring about all that we have today is only accepted full scale by 13 percent of Americans. That just tells you that lie doesn't work real well. So so if Satan cannot get people to fully reject God, then he will say, then take God and let me just change him. Let me just distort him. Uh, be religious, be extremely religious, but, but let me just modify what religion is, the true faith. Satan is in the business of invading true churches, the true message and the true gospel. To do that and to deceive those in the church, he must not come looking like a wolf. Obviously, nobody would take Satan as he is. Uh, Rather, he comes looking like a shepherd. He looks like a preacher. He comes looking like one who is for the people of God. And this deceptive tactic of Satan started in the Garden of Eden. Genesis, he says, yea, hath God said. He tried to get Eve to think Satan was good, and God was holding good back from them. In the Old Testament, false prophets were a constant problem that plagued the Jewish people. Uh, They were pseudo-prophetes, or pseudo-prophets, false prophets, counterfeit prophets. Uh, The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 14, 14, The Lord, or Yahweh, said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. Jeremiah twenty three twenty one, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. I wonder how often God would say that of those who say they speak for God today. In the New Testament, God's word is constantly warning of these dangers. Jesus said in Matthew seven, fifteen in his first major sermon Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They put on a covering that camouflages their identity, their inwardly ravening wolves. They have ill intent toward you, but they look like they're for you. Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And he says, it's going to be effective. They will deceive many. Jesus did not say atheism would deceive many. But he said, religion that comes in the name of Christ will deceive many. Peter warned also of false prophets. He wrote a final book, Second Peter, and in that short three-chapter book, he spends the entire second chapter on the topic of false teachers. The threat was so big that at the end of his life, if you have three chapters to write, what does he write? Chapter 1 is about the primacy of the Word of God and the sufficiency of God's Word. Chapter 2 is about the danger of false teachers. And chapter 3 is about the second coming of Christ. That's how big of a deal this was. Jude warned of this in Jude verse 3 and 4. Paul warned of false prophets This was Paul's warning when he left the church at Ephesus after being there for three years. In Acts 20, verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. They're not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise. Notice he says, they'll they'll arise from among you. They'll speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Ephesians 4, 14, he says, They lie in wait to deceive 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13, that's why he says they're false apostles, deceitful workers. They transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. And so false apostles had entered into the church at Corinth, just as they did in the Old Testament, as they did in the ministries of Christ and Peter. They're found here as well. They entered in and they made specific attacks Against the Apostle Paul, tonight I want to look at five deceptions that Satan uses that we must be aware of to expose these deceptions for what they are and so let's let's walk through these fifteen verses tonight. I confess that second Corinthians is one of the hardest readable books it's extremely wonderful, and deep, and rich, but it's such a personal letter that Paul's writing to these guys, and the language, quite frankly, in the King James is hard to understand, so when you read it here, have like a New King James, or a New American, something else that you can read it with to help you, because I'm telling you, when you read it straight through, just like I probably do each Wednesday, you're probably like, what does that mean? And uh, some of the things we read in the gospel is extremely clear, but uh, you can sometimes find a little struggle navigating through some of the wording. So let me help you with that tonight. So five deceptions Satan uses that we must be aware of. First of all, Satan wants to cause doubt, doubt in God's true messengers. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, he says, Would to God ye would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused or you have been betrothed to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste version of Christ. So uh, here in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul has been pressed to respond to these constant attacks of false apostles. And perhaps you have, have um, come across Proverbs where it says, Don't answer a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. Right? Like yeah, should I respond to that? And you're like yeah, you know. And then the next verse is like, answer a fool in his folly. Let's you know. So, and then I'm like, I'm gonna go to first The next verse there. So, uh, but but you 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 get in that balance, don't you? You ever been there? It's like, should I say something? Usually, less is better. You know right? You write the email and then you erase it. Better that you erase it. But there gets to be a point, doesn't there? There gets to be a point where it's like, I have to say something. I mean, this is this is out of control. And, and Paul's there. Paul's like pushed to the point where he's like, you know what? You're going to have to bear with me in my folly. I, I'm, I'm going to have to act foolish for a little bit because how do you defend yourself? When you start defending yourself, you feel like you're being arrogant. Like how do you defend your reputation in letter form? Like you feel like you're boasting. Oh, I'm really trustworthy. How do you say that? Like, how do you let a church know that you really love them if they're questioning your love? Like, how do you, so Paul is at this place where it's like, but he has to defend himself because Paul is authoring scripture as well. And if Satan could get them to discredit the apostle Paul, then God and the scriptures and the gospel were discredited. Back in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 17, Paul says, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. But now he's like, bear with me because I'm going to have to be foolish for a little bit. He says, I wish, uh, in, in verse 1, uh, would to God you would bear with me a little. That, that's a, it's stronger in the Greek than it is there in the English. It's like, I wish you would listen. I, I, I wish you would listen to me as I have to make this foolish defense of myself, that I have to commend myself to you, is the idea. Later in chapter 12, verse 11, he says, I'm become a fool in glory. you have compelled me, for I have... I ought to be a commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Look, he's like, I am nothing. I hate to, I hate to defend myself, but you've, you forced me to this. Like a, like a humble person doesn't want to promote why you should trust them. They, they think themselves to be nothing. And that's what Paul says, though I be nothing, but you've, you've pushed me into this. Paul was forced to defend himself against the lies and the attacks that just kept bombarding him. Now, one of the attacks Satan uses on the church is trying to disqualify true preachers and messengers of God through lies and attacks against them. He wants to cause doubt. He wants to cause doubt in the shepherds. He wants you to say that person uh, is not credible, they're not trustworthy, to have some kind of doubt in them. Uh, On Sunday, we've seen that with Jesus. You know, Jesus casts out a demon. Everybody's like, wow, that's wonderful. But then the religious leaders who were really messengers of Satan in that day were like, oh, he's doing it by the power of Beelzebub or the power of Satan. And then they're like, oh, is he? Just doubt is extremely potent. Um, you know, uh, when, when, you know, you, you, I've heard a story of a guy, you know, walking out of a Walking out a bar one time, he went in there to maybe pick up a friend or go evangelize or do something, and somebody sees this spiritual man walking out, and they're like, "Oh, is that? You know, I saw Brother Fred down at the bar the other day." They talk to the preacher about that, and you find out that he, you know, but it's 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 people can, you know, they, they begin to doubt something. Um, so, uh, but here we have uh, Matthew twelve twenty four. They call him Beelzebub, The people at Corinth had come to believe Paul was not really for them. The false teachers uh, had painted Paul in such a bad light, but Paul says to them in verse 2, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy I have espoused you to one husband. And, and really, Paul, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm a spiritual father to you. Uh, you're, you're like a daughter to me, and, 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 and Christ is your husband, and, and I am betrothed you to Christ. Paul was desiring their purity. He, he desired their faithfulness to Christ. And, uh, and, and they, they, they were struggling uh, with believing Paul was for them. And, and one of the lies I've had to deal with through the years that Satan assaults people with is this. He makes them think that their pastor doesn't really care about them. Uh, if you're here long enough, there will be a time, I'm sure, because I am not a perfect pastor at any level in anything that I do. I fail at literally everything, and it's only by God's grace that He builds a church. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, I always say I present the weaknesses, and He presents the blessings. And so, uh, but, but you will find a time in your life when I will let you down for sure. So, just if I haven't yet, it's coming. <laughs> I just know it. Braden will let you down. You know, Alex is going to let you down. You know, uh, Cam and Ty—they'll definitely let you down. Uh, uh, but you know, we—we we as a staff, we're going to fall short. We're not going to live up to. Uh, we're going to miss things, and uh, and so people will feel. You know, he pastor preached that message because he knew I was struggling with that, and uh, or he confronted. You get confronted by somebody at church, maybe a spiritual leader in your life. And, and you feel like that, uh, you know, that sinful area in your life. You, you you don't feel like you should have to give up. And then you get upset with your pastor or leader because they pointed something out that needs to be repented of. Um, Paul was jealous over the church with a godly jealousy, a protective jealousy. Uh, you know, there is good and there is bad jealousy. Bad jealousy is envy; that's sinful. But jealousy that seeks to protect is godly. Uh, He's saying, I am zealous for you with the zeal of God or a godly jealousy. Paul is not jealous for himself, but he's jealous for God, a godly jealousy. A true faithful pastor and shepherd will seek your purity, your life to be clean before God, not for his personal sake, but for God's sake. A false shepherd and leader will give you a license. They'll say, you know, I believe in love. I've heard that so many times over these last few years. I just, you know what, I just believe in love and acceptance. I believe you have the choice to do what your heart leads you to do. Okay, so if your wife wants to go sleep with that guy, do you feel like that still fits? You feel like your child, 15 years old, should be able to fornicate? You feel like their heart should be able to follow? And some people in that mindset would probably be okay with those kind of things, as crazy as that is. But... Satan will tell you that the pastors and leaders don't care about you. They didn't reach out to you. They didn't follow up. They didn't write you a letter. They didn't call you. Therefore, they don't love you. They don't care about you. He intentionally didn't shake your hand. He didn't come to your section of the chairs to greet you that morning or that evening. You know, but that same thing happens in marriages. I was thinking about that. It's when we place expectations on our spouse instead of ourself, people always live with offense. Every marriage I deal with counseling, they always turn expectations placed on themselves to now they're expecting their spouse to do something. And once that switch is turned, they get offended. And immediately when they say, you know what, instead of me placing expectation on them, which I can't control them, control is a, a delusion. I can only control myself and that's hard to do. So let me just focus on what I can do right and then, then you won't get upset with what they're doing or not doing. You can only control you. Draw a circle around yourself and start there. It's like a wife wanting to talk and her husband should know that but he doesn't, she doesn't ask him to sit and have a conversation so she gets offended. Listen, people do that to their pastor. But pastor is not... You know, Sometimes people put the, the qualities of the divine upon their pastor. He should be omniscient doesn't he know I had somebody one time come to my office and they were so offended at me they said I am so offended and I said what happened and they said my you know my loved one was in the hospital and um, a couple different times and you never went to see him and I said I am so sorry I didn't even know they were in the hospital I said did you call she said no I did you send an email or let anybody know she said no I just thought you would know you don't understand, but this is, these are things that like keep me up at night. Like it really weighs on me when those things happen. So um, those are the, that's the hardest part of ministry for me is, is disappointment. And I know I'll do it all the time. And so uh, I just, you know, people don't think, you know, that is a guy that is married. He does have, you know, four children, one's married, but they, they have other things that, you know, there's ball games, there's school things, there's other things that go on, and then there's. But but uh, one of the things that you can do to always help those in leadership over you is just let them know. If if you have something you want to, you know, I will never, as your pastor, if you reach out to me and say, "Hey, can we meet?" I will meet with you. I will. But I will tell you, I'm a lot better to stand up and preach than I am in remembering some of those details. That is my weakness of all weaknesses. So just I'm I'm confessing my sin of not remembering things. That's why we have those green cards. Write that down. Because if you tell me when you're walking out the door, I'll have four, five, six other conversations within the next three minutes. And I just don't have the ability. I'm a guy. I have one (laughs) box. And I just, I confess, I confess. So... um, so, so help, you know, braid and Alex, the staff, you know, your teachers, those in leadership. Uh, you know how it is when your spouse does that to you. Just make sure that you, you see that. And so please don't let Satan deceive you by these things. He loves to cause doubt. He loves, to, he loves you to be frustrated with your leadership. Just ask yourself, does, does God want me to be frustrated with my leaders, or is that a deception of Satan? Because ultimately that builds resentment and that causes separation, Right? And the fault is not really outside of us. The fault is inside of us. We have to go get that right. And it's okay. Because like, it helps pastors. It helps leaders be better at what they do. When those, things, those concerns are voiced. Saying, hey, this would really help. And, and so uh, just don't use a ball bat on me verbally when you do it. So, but I thank you for those things and, and, and reach out. I, I please, uh, always know this too. I will never be too busy to sit down and talk when people, uh, each week I have multiple, multiple people I meet with. And, and you can, if, if somebody's like, Hey, can we meet? Then I'm going to do my best to make time to meet. And if I can't meet Braden or Alex or one of the other guys will meet. And, and, uh, but it's not because I don't want to, it's just, I, I'm a very, and, and I don't have all the answers. I mean, you've heard many of these guys preach over the last couple months and they do a better job than I do in many aspects of proclaiming the word of God and, and they're sufficient for such things. So uh, now uh, listen to also some of the attacks that they waged against him in verse 7 down to verse number 12. Uh, in verse 7 through 12, he's, he's responding to an attack from the false apostles at Corinth because Paul ministered at Corinth, but they, he wouldn't take any money from them. So he didn't take any money from them. He was a tent maker while he started the church at Corinth. And because he didn't receive wages from them, uh, they they took offense to that. I don't think it was offensive at first, but the false apostles came in and stirred this up to be offensive. 1 Corinthians 9.14, he says he had the right to take resources. He says, "...even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live or make their living of the gospel." He said, but I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, uh, that it should be done unto me, for it is better for me to die than any man should make my glorying void. He says, uh, so, so I had the right to do that, but I, I chose not to. But instead of them being thankful for his humility and kindness, uh, they were insulted and they got upset with him. It's important, though, in the Greek culture in that day, uh, they measured your importance as a teacher by the fee that you could garner in. So if, 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 you know, if you couldn't get a fee brought in, then it just showed you were not qualified. And the false apostles were like, see, this guy can't even get a fee uh, receiving. And then he's tent making, which is a blue-collar type of job that was underneath the great orators, at Corinth, orators of Corinth. And, and so they, they really uh, demeaned him for that and uh, derided him. So he says in verse 7, he says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I preached to you the gospel of God freely i didn 't charge anything for that. look what he says in verse eight I robbed other churches he, he didn't like this is, this is just a, a rebuking statement there uh, hyperbolic statement there, but uh, he says, taking wages of them to do you service, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. So, so Paul wasn't against receiving funds for ministry. He did that from the churches at Philippi. He did that from the churches there at Macedonia. Uh, it is not clear why he would not accept funds from them, perhaps because he was gathering up a large love offering for the churches in Jerusalem, and he didn't want to uh, have anybody uh, cause any false accusations there. But it's amazing to me that, that they attacked him for that. He goes on in verse ten and says, "You know, as the truth is in Christ in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the reasons of Achaï. Like I'm not going to stop declaring that I didn't take money from you. I'm not going to be bullied into doing that now or apologizing for that, even though these false apostles are coming against me. He's like, and why didn't I take money? Because I love you, not. He's like, God knows that I love you. Verse twelve. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them. And basically, verse twelve, he's saying, I am. Uh, I am not going to allow these false, greedy teachers uh, to bring these accusation against me. And it put them to shame because those greedy apostles, those false apostles, uh, were in it just for the money and those prideful attempts. And so he did not allow them to push him into uh, uh, recanting on that. Uh, so that's the first thing is, is you see that Satan was using these false apostles to just slaughter the religious leader. And I've seen this through the years, and just know this is one final thought. When a person turns on their spiritual leader, it's the beginning of their spiritual downfall. If that spiritual leader has done something sinful, done something worthy of rebuke, then go to them and confront that and deal with that. But I can tell you, when you isolate and you hold that in, God didn't do that to you. God's not telling you to hold that in. So I don't know anyone in here that has anything against me but, or against any of the other staff. But I've just been ministering for 20 years. I just know so, uh, that that can happen. So just make sure you don't hold that. Just, just, it's the same thing with your spouse. You, you, you hold resentments, and it'll, it'll eat you up on the inside. So just get that dealt with. It'll help both relationships grow, and, and Satan will be defeated in that. Secondly, Satan wants to make the gospel complex. Verse 3, he says, but I fear lest, by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I just want to note here that Paul validates Genesis 3. If you would turn to Genesis 3 with me for a moment, I want to highlight some things there. But he he validates his belief in the literal accounts there in Genesis 3, that that is not an allegorical teaching, that, that there was a real serpent that beguiled Eve, that Satan is real. So how did Satan deceive Eve? Uh, Through having a spiritual conversation with her about God. By making her think he was for her and God was against her. Notice in Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye what? Touch it, Touch it lest ye die. Now, is that God's original command? Genesis two sixteen, And the Lord God commanded the man, because the woman was not yet created, And he says to the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And that's all he says, right? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So here's the question, and I just just want to bring something to light that I believe could be a very real um, heavy truth that's found here. Eve would have received that information from Adam. Now, it's possible that she made up on the spot the not touch it part, but very likely Adam was the one who says, hey, um, you know what, you don't eat of the, God says, don't eat of the fruit of the tree and, 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 and don't even touch it. There's a very good chance that Adam was the one who would have done that. Now, why would he do that? Well, I, I think it was because he felt like, you know, higher restrictions here. You know, I, I, I want to be more safe with her. That if, if God says, don't eat it, um, I'm just going to tell her, you know, I love her so much that I'm going to tell her, don't even touch it. Because if, if, if she doesn't touch it, then she'll never eat it. And what he thought was a safety net was very likely the cause of the fall. And here's why. Eve is in the garden with Satan and she says, you cannot eat it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. What happens when Satan grabs a piece of fruit, pulls it off the tree? Am I dying? Nobody's eaten it yet. Before she ate it, what did she have to do? When she touched it, did she die? Hmm. At that very moment, the same fence that was designed to protect her destroyed her. Because he thought, God's Word needs addition. I need some kind of man-made Tradition added to this scripture. It's not enough. It needs more. And in fact, it is man's addition that brought the downfall. What happens when you get to the New Testament? What happens? The Messiah comes. The living word puts on display the written word. But do you know where the problem came? was when the living word didn't match up with man's tradition. And, and what the Pharisees, who were organized during the Babylonian captivity, or away from Jerusalem, uh, never again did they go into idolatry like that. Study Jewish history, Jews never became idolatrous again. Seventy years in Babylon, squashed pagan idolatry. Now, they had idolatry of the heart, but they did not set up idols. What they did do was they began to make tradition on equal authority with Scripture. They began to build fences and laws around God's written word. And and by doing that, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? You guys eat with unwashed hands. Where is that found in the Bible? Well, he answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. What's the next four words Jesus says? That, that's what Jesus builds on. That's sola scriptura, friends. What's different from Lighthouse and all the other churches Sola Scriptura? Uh, scripture alone. What do we base truth on? We base truth on the Word of God. Um, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. God doesn't need God doesn't need his word improved upon. (laughs) You ever been to a church? You know, women aren't allowed to wear jeans. This is really kind of a thing back in the day. Where's that found in scripture? Well, if it's not in there, you ever heard somebody say it should be? Raise your hand if you've heard that one. It should be. Oh, really? (laughs) You've been listening to Satan lately, haven't you? Because that's what he would say. He loves laws. He loves them. Add them up. I mean, when Jesus came, they were overflowing, weren't they? It's ridiculous. There were so many laws, they they were clashing. I mean, it was just... and, and, and And the battle came with which one do you obey when two conflict? Well... Jesus says, let me, let, me, let me simplify this for you. Uh, love God and love people, and it's all contained in that. God is not a God of massive numbers of laws. Don't eat the tree. And man comes along and says, don't eat it, but then don't touch it. They've already doubled it. You, you see what man likes to do? I, I can't tell you how many people I've dealt with through the years who were supposed to be real spiritual, conservative, like really, really, you know, they dress the part. And, but they would, get, they would get caught up in things that you could find not one verse in the Bible about. Well, I don't think there should be instruments on the stage, preacher. Oh, really? Did You ever read Psalm 145 through 150? Well, that's in the Old Testament. Also, oh, the God of the old is not the same God of the new. Well, those are all, you know, and I I believe there is a balance there. You don't want to be like, you know, crazy, but you can't can't begin to build doctrine off of your preference. And you have to build it on the Word of God. Jesus goes on in Mark 7, he says in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The tradition of men. And he, and he, and he continues in, in verse number nine, he says, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. He goes on in verse 12, And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you delivered, and many such things like you do. Uh, you think there's any churches today building on tradition? They've been there and you're like, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Now listen, tradition in itself is not wrong. It's wrong when you try to make tradition on equal footing with Scripture. We have to be very careful. Let the Word of God speak. Let the Word of God speak. That's, and we can't be afraid of what it says. I used to be afraid of the word predestination. Election. Anybody else been afraid of those words? It's like if somebody says that they're like, oh, they're a Calvinist. Oh, is that word in the Bible? Yeah, but I don't. So if you had the chance to write the Bible, you wouldn't have written those words. Right? You don't want to say it, do you? See, that's how I was. I was like, I hated certain words. And I'm like, if they even say that. Like we were like, you know, we're the chosen and elect of God. That's how they said it. And we're like, that just sounds so off from how I grew up. And there is a problem when Bible words bother you. Is, that a, is the problem with the Bible or is the problem with me? Right? So, so listen, I've journeyed through those waters. I love those words. I love whosoever will may come. I love that God chose us before the foundation of the world. I love that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. I love Romans 9. I've memorized Romans 9. And then i memorized Romans 10. I love them both. Right? And we preach the whole counsel of God. I love that you believe, repent, and surrender to Christ. We must take all of Scripture and not dice it up. So, just never forget, any addition to the word, will subtract from it. A lot of things I could say about this. In Paul's day, the Judaizers, who were Jewish converts, who believed you still had to hold to the Old Testament law, be circumcised, hold the feast days and Sabbaths. Paul writes to them in Galatians 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you made perfect through the flesh? He goes on in chapter 5, he said, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Don't be entangled in the yoke of bondage. He said, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you what? You know what's taken the place of Old Testament circumcision? Baptism. In other words, if you believe that circumcision plus Christ is how you get saved, then Christ doesn't profit you. If you add circumcision to Christ, you don't have Christ. Baptism plus Christ doesn't save. Christ saves in Christ alone. Who is able to improve on the work of Christ? Can we improve on the sacrifice or the Scripture? Let me give you a third warning tonight from this passage going back to 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, he says in verse 4, Satan also wants to change the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, he says, For if ye come, for he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we let me go back to the previous point. He wants to complex the gospel there. He says, from the simplicity that's in Christ. Let me let me draw a closing knot on that. Um, to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of your sins, and is surrendered to Christ as Lord. It's not three separate things. It's one reality that has three truths to it. Those who truly believe are those who truly repent are those who truly surrender. If you truly believe in Christ, you, will tu- you cannot turn in faith to Christ without turning away from unbelief. You can't turn in faith to Jesus as Lord without turning away from the sinfulness of sin. It's not perfection, but it is direction. And, and there is a confessing Christ as Lord. Now, going down, Satan also, thirdly, wants to change the gospel. He wants to change the gospel. Not only does he want to make it more complex, you've got to go through all these sacraments, you've got to go through the Eucharist, you've got to go through all this stuff. to No, it's Christ. Uh, verse 4, going on. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which we have not received, ye might well bear with him. The word another is heteros here. Now, the word in English, we just have one word, another. But in the Greek, it's alas or heteros. Alas means another of the exact same nature or kind. Heteros means another of a different nature or kind. Like if you were getting a cup of water and I said, Sweetheart, could you get me a alas cup uh, and, and they would go get me another cup of water. If I say, can you give me a heteros drink, they would bring me a drink of something else. So, like a, preferably like a peach tea. Uh, amen. And uh, so he says, uh, if, if, if they preach a heteros Jesus, it's not another of the same kind of Jesus. It's, it's a different Jesus. It's a heteros spirit. It's not the same spirit. It's a different spirit. And if you have a different Jesus in a different spirit, you're going to get a different gospel. That is the problem with many false cults and false religions. They may have the same name. They'll even call him Jesus. But it's not the same Jesus. Let me give you some examples. Islam believes in Jesus. They have no problem with Jesus. They have no problem with Jesus. They honor Jesus. Uh, They believe Jesus is a great teacher. But they do not believe he died on the cross. They believe he was a sinless prophet but he was not as great as Muhammad. Muslims deny Jesus was God's son, reasoning that God does not have a wife, therefore he could have no son. Let me quote the Quran, Surah chapter 6, verse 102. The originator of the heavens and the earth, how can he have a child when there is for him no consort? Surah 4, 171 states, Jesus was only a messenger of Allah, Far is it removed from his transcendent majesty that he would have a son. They do not believe Jesus died on the cross. They claim that someone else was crucified on the cross who looked like Jesus. In Surah 4, 155, it says, And for their unbelief and their uttering against Mary, a mighty uh, calumny, and for their saying, We slew the Messiah, Jesus, Son of Mary, the messenger of God, yet they did not slay him, neither crucified him, only a likeness of him shown to them. According to Islam, Jesus did not die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and rise from the dead. They use the same name, but it's not the same person. Jehovah Witnesses do the same. They refer to Jesus as the Son of God. However, they believe Jesus was created by God and is not God, only the, a Son of God, a created being. I quote their literature. He was a God, but not the Almighty God who is Jehovah. The truth of the matter is, they say, that the Word is Christ Jesus who did have a beginning. Their Watchtower publication writes, the foremost angel both in power and authority is the archangel Jesus Christ, also called Michael. They changed the wording of John 1.1 to uh, a God instead of God, where it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. They changed that to being the Word was a God. What's interesting, there's one easy way to expose them, if I may. Romans 10.13, you know it you going to say it with me? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, one reason, I, if, 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 you, if you read the King James, it's, if, you, if you read a New American Standard, it, you'll, you'll have that verse uh, set apart, and it'll show that that which italicized or in bigger print, cap, usually capitalized, and it'll let you know every Old Testament quotation. And if you and you'll notice that if you if you're reading out of one of those translations, but that verse is an Old Testament translation out of Joel two thirty-two. Joel two thirty-two. So so Romans ten thirteen, we know that's talking about Jesus because if you read Romans ten nine through thirteen, uh that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. So I ask a Jehovah Witness, who's verse 13 talking about? They're like, that's talking about Jesus. So you're confessing him as Lord. Um, well, just as a Lord, but not the Lord, not as Jehovah. Okay, so where did Romans ten thirteen come from? Well, it came from Joel two thirty two. Joel 2.32 reads, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Let me read it out of the legacy standard. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be delivered. The legacy version always puts the Lord in the Old Testament, the Tetragrammaton, as the true name Yahweh. They translate it as Lord in the KJV, which is a fine translation. But it's, it's the covenant name Yahweh. So, Joel 2.32 is saying everyone who calls on Yahweh will be delivered or saved. And it's brought into light in Romans 10.13 that Jesus is Yahweh. Does that make sense? When you share that, they have nothing to say because it's, that's one place in their New World Translation they they missed it. They missed modifying. And they'll probably figure that out. They're like, there's this guy in Zenia that pointed that out, and we need to... Change that, update that, new 2024. Now the Mormons believe Jesus is the Son of God and will make statements such as this. We believe Jesus is the Savior and Lord. Such statements would make you think that they are real, uh, maybe Christians, and the Mormons believe they are Christians. But a closer look at who they, their Jesus is and how salvation is truly attained reveals the truth. Mormons believe the Father God and Mother God conceived spirit children and Christ was the firstborn. They believe Jesus and Lucifer were brothers during their existence, and Lucifer was even offered to be the Savior, but he disagreed with part of God's plan and was cast out of heaven. They believe that Christ was born into the world as a product of a sexual union between Mary and God the Father. They believe that Jesus lived as a man and became a God as a result of obedience to the gospel truth. They believe Jesus was married to Mary, Martha, or Mary Magdalene. This was necessary because marriage is essential in Mormon teaching to attain the highest heaven. Listen, Satan will gladly use the name Jesus. All the religions are like, take him on. We love Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus talk all day long. The problem is it's a heteros Jesus. It's not the true Jesus. Their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The four leaders of the Mormon church years ago met with John MacArthur for weeks. They were trying to unite Christianity and Mormonism. And he said, the problem is it'll never be united because your Jesus is not the true Jesus. Now, some have the false notion that the gods of other religions worship simply a different name for the true God. That's not true. Allah and Buddha are not names, different names for the true God. They are, they are false gods. Deuteronomy thirty-two, seventeen, speaking of the gods of the other nations, it says they sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods they came up newly, whom their forefathers, uh, whom uh, whom your fathers fear not. First Corinthians also highlights this in chapter ten, verse twenty. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. So according to the Bible, it's demons, it's devils. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, try the spirits, because many false prophets are gone into the world. So, so a third thing that Satan will want to do is change the truth. He'll get you to change the truth. He'll cause you to walk away saying, Well, there's so many religions in the world. How do you know Christianity is the only one? I had somebody in my own extended family that has come to that conclusion. And I just so want to have a conversation with them when they're back close around and, um, and, and just kindly walk through because I have studied these other religions and it's so apparently false. You cannot compare Christianity with Buddhism. You can't compare Christianity with Islam. You want to try to do that? You want to try to do that with the Koran written by one guy, one guy, 119 chapters, one guy wrote. Come out on horseback with 400 soldiers propagating his message, who consummated a marriage with a nine-year-old. You want to compare that to Christianity? You, you want to compare that? Really? Is that, that, you're going to say they're on the same level? Really? Is that right? I could go into the other ones, but it's just, it's just, just so sad. Number four, Satan wants you to follow talent over truth. Verse 5 and 6, he says, For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. That that phrase, chiefest apostles, is huperleon apostolos. Uh, It could be translated as super apostles. This is a sarcastic statement. I suppose I'm not behind the very greatest of apostles, the super apostles. And here he's mocking uh, the false apostles of verse 13. He's like, I'm not even behind your great super apostles over there. Um... He says, going on, but though I be rude in speech, because oratory was the, the, the elevated thing in Corinth, he says, but I'm not weak in knowledge. Uh, the church of Corinth was impressed with fantastic oratory ability, and these false apostles, these professional charlatans, they had been hoodwinked. And Paul said, though I be rude in speech, I may not be the most talented public orator, I am not deficient in knowledge church needs men of God who know the Word of God, not a slick, smooth speaker. Stories story is told of a famous banquet hall that was filled to capacity. They brought in a renowned orator. After a wonderful meal, he mesmerized the crowds as he recited poetry and famous selections. Near the end of the program, he asked if anybody would like him to recite something. A man stood up in the back, an elderly man, and he said, I would like you to recite Psalms 23. The orator said, I would be glad to do that, but only if you would recite it after me. The old man sat back down as he agreed to it. In a beautiful trained voice that resonated throughout the great hall, the speaker began, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And after he had finished, there was a thunderous applause, standing ovation. He then looked at the old man and said, All right, sir, now it's your turn. In a trembling voice that was cracked by time, the old man began to recite the great shepherd's psalm. It was when he was finished, there was no applause. But there was also not a dry eye in the room. After the event, someone asked the famous speaker what he thought produced the difference in the crowd. The speaker thought for a moment, and he said, I know the 23rd Psalm, but that man knew the shepherd. And we need preachers and teachers and godly saints who stand up, who know the shepherd, not just a slick communicator. And that's what the Corinthians had been hooked, winked in. And the fifth and final thing, Satan wants you to believe his disguises. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably expand on this quite a bit next week, so I'm not going to be able to get into much up tonight. Um, our time is always gone. Such a, such a burden. I, I should say the, the you know, I said earlier, the greatest thing that pains me is probably that red clock that's back there. It's, it's always looking at me, and the battery never goes out. I don't know how they check that, but it is on full charge all the time. But he says here, as we close in verse 13 through 15, and we'll highlight some things here next time as we try to move through the rest of the chapter as well, but for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, and notice they're false, they're deceitful, and they do a transforming work, making themselves like the apostles of Christ, no marvel, Satan himself. It, what's interesting, he doesn't transform into something evil, he's always constantly trying to look great. Great. Therefore, it's no great thing that if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Uh, the Bible tells us in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We have to be on guard, friends. We have to be on guard. I'm going I'm to talk a little bit next time about uh, how you can identify like a false teacher, some, some different things that the Bible clearly says. But Satan wants you to cause doubt in God's true messengers. He wants to make the gospel complex. He wants to change the gospel. He wants to cause you to look toward talent instead of truth. I mean, there's people that will go to a church because they have a talented band. They have a talented slideshow. They have a talented system. But it's like, what, is, is the Word of God transforming your life? Is, is, is the Word of God feeding your soul? And he's going to try to disguise himself. We have to be discerning in these days. And the way that you discern is by knowing this book. If there was ever a day that you cannot afford to not know the word of God, it's this day. Read it every day. Study it every day. Commit it to your heart. That's why LBC 242 these Sunday nights is so critical. It's not only critical for you personally, but it's also critical for you to encourage other people to get into the Word. And so uh, if, if you're able to be a part of that, that's going to be a great benefit to you and those that can. But make sure that every day of your life, you spend time in the Word of God. Love His Word. Love His Word.